day 136 of Shaped by the Word. I'm Paul Camp here with uh, Katie Kresge and Matthew Kresge. We continue our journey through Paul's letters to the Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul has written you know, at least three letters to the Corinthians, probably you know, many more. Uh, we have the first letter you know, in 1 Corinthians. The second letter came after a painful visit when Paul went to Corinth to confront sin, and he confronted sin, you know, quite boldly, but the people rejected, uh, you know, his, his confrontation. And so he also writes a sorrowful letter that's been lost to us. In, in the meantime, there, there's been reconciliation. And so the purpose of this letter really is to continue the healing, you know, between Paul and this church. So the first seven chapters have been, you know, devoted to renewing, you know, their affections for one another and uh, Paul describing his ministry and how he has labored for them and even suffered for them so that they might, you know, know Christ. The second purpose of this letter uh, was to uh, encourage the churches to contribute generously uh, to the Jewish churches back in Judea or Jerusalem that were suffering you know, persecution, being uh, losing their jobs, and uh, you know, part of a famine, you know, that was in the land as well. And, and so, Paul is encouraging in order to bridge a gap between Jew and Gentile, which is very severe at times, for the Gentile church to be amazing in their generosity and their love for these brothers and sisters they've never even met. So, uh, the second part of the letter, chapters eight and nine, you know, describe the collection and the theology he uses, you know, to. Talk about generosity is some of the richest Christ-centered theology that you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. He calls us, you know, to measure our giving by the way that Christ gave for us, mm-hmm. and it's rich in every way. So even though he's talking about giving, which is an uncomfortable topic for most of us, this is one of the most amazing gospel-centered passages mm-hmm. in, in all of Scripture. So we begin uh, with chapter eight, but as we always do, we realize we're we're here not just to learn a few facts about the early church. We're here to be, you know, as our podcast uh, you know, kind of announces, to be shaped by this word, mm-hmm. to be transformed by the word, to have our affections stirred for the one who has written this word, and uh, to be ever transformed by it. So before we have, before we read, let let's pray. Matt, you mind leading yeah. us? Father, you are good, you are holy and loving and gracious. You've revealed yourself to us through your word. And and so, Father, as we do come to it, um, we pray that you would transform us and shape us through it. Give us wisdom as we read it. Thank you uh, for the spirit who, at this very moment, dwells in us and and is stirring in us affections for, for you and for the things of you. And so, Father, as we read this together, um, use it for your your glory and our joy and our good. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have a desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. The present time your plenty will also supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. And the goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift. We're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we're sending with him our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they're representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that all the churches can see it. Fun section, just a kind of administrative work that's taking place, and yet Paul has a strong gospel appeal before he ever gets you know, to the place of you know, just completing an offering, taking an offering, administrating an offering, conducting themselves you know, in the safe you know, conduct of the offering from you know, Macedonia, you know, to Achaia, all the way to the city of Jerusalem. But, uh, you know, some of the richest theology that, that we find. Katie, what sticks out to you or stands out to you as you read this passage? There's a lot that stands out to me, but um, I think one of the main things is um, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich and that's the picture that's the example that is much bigger than what they're being asked to do um he was rich he was <laughs> he was the sitting at the throne of god and he became poor he became a baby on our behalf so that um, we might be saved so um that example leads them to first devote themselves to the lord um, I think he says that the Macedonians already did, um, but th- devote themselves to the Lord and then to give um, of their money and not just give first because they're obligated to, but to re- to know why they're giving. Um, and I just yeah, I love yeah. that example that he gives. Yeah. We often you know talk about you know what we have given up for the Lord, which is kind of mm-hmm. uh, ridiculous in perspective. Yeah. Nothing in comparison to the example that he is. You know, given us where he emptied himself of everything, including the glories of heaven, uh, took on a very lowly position, and not only a lowly position, but was deeply despised and humiliated on our behalf, so that we might, you know, be reconciled, you know, to God. And it's a privilege to 
empty ourselves, you know, for his sake, uh, or to impoverish ourselves for his sake. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one of the amazing things to me, Matt, you know, and this is um, this opening line where he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, mm-hmm. their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. So here's an equation, overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals what? <laughs> and he says, rich generosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he said, they're in severe trials, but their joy so overwhelmed both their trials and their poverty that they gave themselves away. They gave up to their ability and beyond their ability, mm-hmm. he says. And Paul didn't say, whoa, 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 wait. Yeah. He, he said, that is remarkable, yeah. you know, that, that, that they've done that. And, uh, you know, like Katie was saying, they exceeded our expectations, and they, the order is exactly right. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then in keeping with God's will, they gave themselves to their church leaders in order to accomplish, yeah. you know, this purpose. Yeah, I, I think reading this from maybe an American standpoint, it's, it's so hard for us to read this and to see, you know, exactly what you were saying, that in the midst of very severe trial, there can be an overwhelming sense of joy in the midst of, you know, extreme poverty, because... We tend to think that joy is a result of, you know, being delivered out of poverty or or having much, you know. And so when we start to travel and you go into, you know, another country and you go into a village yeah. and people who are living in extreme poverty welcome you into their house with joy and they say, "Hey, eat this," and, and you know you're eating, you know, a lot of their food for that and, month. And you should see Matthew's face when they ask him to eat that. But anyway, that's a different story <laughs> hey, altogether. I ate <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got sick. Um, <laughs> you know, but. I, I think what we what we miss a lot of times is is we I love how he starts it too and now brothers and sisters we want to know we want you to know about the grace that the God has given you know, God has given the Macedonian churches and then the responsibility or maybe their actions that flow out of that and and how those those things are held together mm-hmm. you know, yes they were moved in their extreme poverty by the grace of God and you know that those those trials they are enduring are a part of God's grace to them in, in some mm-hmm. weird sense right. But I love how it's it is God's grace to us that that moves us, you know. And, and yet at the same time, we're still called to move and still yeah. called to act. And and so yes, we we look at. I completely agree with everything you said. We you get this kind of Philippians two picture where mm-hmm. God has, you know, Jesus has emptied Himself. He's became yeah. you know, nothing in a sense. And when we see that, it it motivates us and moves us and compels us. And we are called to act. We're called. Oh, yeah. We're called for, or maybe even. You're convicted of our lack of action as well. And, and the grace that God had given them was the uh, grace to have a greater affection, you know, for Christ yeah. and for their brothers and sisters than they did for their own goods exactly. and yeah. even themselves. And and that is you know an amazing you know an amazing grace. You know, uh, Martin Luther talked about you know three conversions. Our first conversion, you know, is to Christ, and our second conversion, you know, is to His Church and. And our third conversion is to the world. In other words, once we our affections have fallen on Christ, we have a renewed affection for each other, you know, within the body of Christ that extends to those that you know, don't even know Christ. And you see his affections, you know, welling up in them. I love the connection that Paul makes with um, with the Israelites in Exodus. You know, because he quotes he quotes Exodus um, in verse fifteen. And um, it leads us back to the passage where the Israelites receive manna from the Lord. Um, and, it, and it says that um, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So you have this sense of everyone is getting what they need from the Lord. Um, and I just was 
picturing that and I was thinking, you know, it's no different for us and for the readers of this letter. They're, what they receive is from the Lord. And what we forget, because we've worked really hard to get what we have, is that it is a gift. And what we, what I get is the same as what somebody else gets. It is a gift from the Lord. And so if I see it as that, then sharing that with someone else is not nearly as, as difficult as it is when I, when I see it as mine, yeah. when I see that I've earned this yeah. and this is my hard-earned money. And yes, we work hard for what we get, right? I mean, that's not lost on us, but it is a gift. Everything is a gift from God. So we're a little less stingy with our stuff, I think, when we see it as that. And, and of course, the build-up is not you know, simply that the Lord supplies all of their needs, but we in the body supply each other's yeah, needs. Right. And, uh, you know, his goal is not that the very rich could, you know, just, you know, kind of, you know, tip their, or, you know, just kind of do a token kind of thing, but that there, there would be equality among the body, that we would have equal concern for one another. Mm-hmm. And that, that is crazy. It, it, uh, because of the way, you know, the gospel shaped us and our, our society, that's probably one of the hardest things that we have to do is to, uh, open up our hearts and our hands, you know, to others. Uh, when we we treasure what we have, so we've become so deeply attached to what we have, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the promise of fourteen comes in that we can trust God to supply daily the needs that we have for the day, mm-hmm. and, and of course that's the Lord's prayer: give us in this day the bread we need for today, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a deep part of it as well. Well, verse seven too, he says, "But since you excel in everything." in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in, in the love we have kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace uh-huh. of giving usually the last one <laughs> yeah, i'm doing my quiet time okay yeah. i'll double up on my quiet time i'll double up on the number of services i'm yeah. going to i will uh, go on more mission trips you know to finally you know the usually the last thing for us to let go of really our our, our wealth and to be sanctified you know in the yeah. area of our, of our giving but uh the gospel doesn't, you know, simply affect certain areas of their, our life. The gospel affects every area mm-hmm. of our life, and, and so it's not enough to think, "Well, I excel, you know, in this, but not so good in this." The gospel, you know, completely penetrates and completely renews and completely sanctifies and changes our affections, you know, in everything that we, you know, say and we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So whether in, you know, extreme trials or. Um, maybe a, a abundance of, you know, means. of means mm-hmm. and wealth. You know, we can excel in the grace of giving. And I think that's as I read just the Old Testament and New Testament. I'm just reminded. I mean, we as maybe the American church, we don't like to talk about giving as much as. And in, in there is. I mean, we see a lot of it around us where there are prosperity gospel, you know, mm-hmm. teachers who are saying, "Hey, give money," and it's being wrongly. It's it's an abuse. Mm-hmm. You know and. And we can say that confidently, but one of the things that I think we're reminded of when we read this is the this grace of giving is not just hey we're just giving to give, it's it's a means of worship. Mm-hmm. This is this yeah. is God saying hey, you this is an act of worship every time we give. You're supplying needs for others. Uh, just you're we're we are being used as agents of of God's grace um, and for other believers. Yeah, and, and of course Paul's going to say tomorrow that we're causing thanksgiving to overflow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, uh, 
by modeling the generosity of Christ, we're causing other people to praise Christ mm-hmm. as well. So not only is it an act of worship for us, it's an act that causes worship in those around us yeah. mm-hmm. as well. So it is, a, it is a rich experience. And, of course, Paul writes about it in such wonderful you know, Christ-centered you know, tones. Mm-hmm. And it is a beautiful passage. Consider his poverty and how we, through his poverty, became rich. Consider what r- really being rich is. It's what we have in Christ. It's not what we have in our garages. Mm. Katie, you mind closing us mm. with a word of prayer? Oh, Father, thank you for what you have given us in Christ. Would we be changed um, by that daily and reminded um, of what is truly important to us, that it's not what's in our bank account, that makes us secure, but it is what Christ has done for us that secures us, secures our future. So would you help us to be wise, Lord? Would you help us to be open-handed with the things that you've given us? And would you open our eyes to the needs that there are around us um, and give us willing hearts to to give where there is need? Thank you so much for the example that you've given us in Christ. Um, He's so much more than an example, but we do have a wonderful picture of what it is to to empty ourselves um, for another's sake. So thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.